Matthew chapter 27 verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour, that's noon, high noon, from the sixth hour there was darkness over all of the land unto the ninth hour, three in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So we come to this now central saying. We're, we're taking our time going through the crucifixion. Seven times Jesus speaks from the cross. First time, remember, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Second time to the thief. Surely today you'll be with me in paradise. Last week we looked at him with his mother and John taking care of his mother from the cross, speaking to her and to his disciple John. And then this is the fourth saying. This is the central saying, the central cry, this cry out of the darkness. It's the center of everything he says. He begins with Father, he ends with Father, but in the middle he cries out, My God, my God. We never hear him call God, God. He tells us about God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. But in his own relationship, he never turns his head to heaven and says, God, it's always Father, except here in this darkness. We never have him asking the Father a question, except here. So there's something particular that's taking place here that God has put to the page for us to look into. Um, Charles Spurgeon said, Neither the records of time or even eternity contain one sentence more filled with anguish than this sentence, this cry from the darkness. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, it's manifesting now in this darkness. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 8 tells us that their names were written in the Lamb's book of life who was slain from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, verse 4 tells us that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Each time it's the world, the universe, the cosmos, which means when he created the universe, because the Lamb was slain before that took place, there was purpose in it. So the universe, no matter how expansive it is, is geocentric. The center of the universe is Earth, because that's where salvation was going to be wrought. And the center of the Earth is Jerusalem in the Middle East. The center of Jerusalem is Golgotha. And the center of what took place on Golgotha is this central cry. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All of time and eternity come to that point. It is when what happened before the foundation of the world is being manifest. It tells us here, as we look into it in verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from high noon until three in the afternoon, he's been three hours in the light. And in the Middle East, the, 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 the sun's at its zenith. It's blistering. I've been there many, many times. The sun there is incredible. But in, at three in the afternoon, it changes to blackness. So he's been three hours in the light. Now he's going to be three hours in the darkness, this picture placed 
in front of us. Matthew says it happened, if you look here, he says, over all the land, all the land of, of Israel, he says, over all the land. Mark says it happened um, in all the land. Again, the idea is the whole land, he says. Luke is the one who tells us that this darkness came on the whole earth. So then our question is, was this global or was this local, this darkness? Because for you and I, look, we're surrounded by critics. Oh, you cut me a break. Yeah, the, the, you know, just, well, Luke, who's one of the greatest chronic, chroniclers in all of history, gives us the cause. You know, this word, when he says it was over all the earth, it's the same word as land in Matthew and Mark. It's used 252 times in the Bible. G, we get geology from it. Context determines its meaning. So 188 times it's translated earth. 42 times it's translated a land. Then it's translated field, country, and so forth a few times. But the idea here is, was this over all the earth or was this over the land of Israel? Luke is the one who gives us the causative phrase in the Greek. He said, for the sun was darkened. And that was, and that, by the way, there, most of us won't be interested. It's Eridus passive. It's something that happened. The sun being darkened was passive. Because people try to say all of creation couldn't look on it. And the sun refused to shine. No, the sun had nothing to do with it. This is supernatural. This is something happening between the father and the son that the father doesn't want us looking into. And the sun was darkened, passive, having to do with the sun, which means that the whole earth was in darkness, which means both sides of the planet were black because the full moon from Passover went away because there was no sun to reflect light. And the whole planet was in darkness. Now, Luke would be the one who tells us that because he was trained in Alexandria. He was trained in Rome. He traveled all over the Mediterranean. And no doubt he heard all those other records where this was experienced. So Matthew and Mark say it happened over all the land. They were local. That's where they saw it. Luke tells us it was, it was global. And it's because the sun itself refused to shine. What a remarkable picture it puts in front of us then. That means it defies any natural or, or astrological explanation. There isn't anything that it's completely miraculous, like all of the signs that followed it, the earthquake and the veil being torn and the resurrection and so forth. Interesting, interesting picture that comes before us. Now, Dr. Paul Meyer, he's professor of ancient history at Western Michigan State University. He says this phenomenon was visible in Rome, in Athens, and in other Mediterranean cities. And we know that from different records that are brought before us. It was physical, but it was supernatural. It was not an eclipse. A lot of the early writers said this was an eclipse. Well, you can't have an eclipse during a full moon because the moon's on the wrong side of the earth to have an eclipse. 
and an eclipse only lasts three to seven minutes, depending on where it is. This is three hours of blackness. There's no eclipse involved in this at all. Besides that, eclipses don't cause earthquakes and resurrections and torn veils. Eclipses never do that. So the historical record, understand, Matthew writes 30 to 40 AD, most scholars feel. So within a decade of when this darkness happened, Matthew writes of it. He wouldn't dare to do that that close to the date unless he, he knew everybody would remember what had happened. Mark is writing uh, somewhere 50 to 60 AD within thir- 20 to 30 years of when this happened. And Luke is writing 63 to 68 AD. He's within 30 to 35 years of when this took place. These are early historical documents. If you look how many writers Plato has, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the fact, and they just have portions of things that that give his history, and everybody accepts that. Well, here's three early writers within 30 years that talk about something that the world would thought they were crazy to talk about if it didn't really happen. Then there's Thallus, and you guys can go online. You're all online. I'm not. I read a book, but you can go online and find all this stuff. Thallus, a Syrian, early historian in 52 AD, within 20 years, writes of the darkness on Passover in 32 AD. He says it was an eclipse. Julius Africanus, one of the church fathers, 215 AD, said, he quotes him but says he's wrong about the eclipse because there can't be an eclipse during a full moon feast. Phlegon writes in 138, he says on Passover, 32 AD, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, he actually quotes it, the greatest eclipse ever seen accompanied by an earthquake that shook Bithynia, where he was, He's quoted by Eusebius in the third century. Then Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, 160 to 220, says, the record of this darkness is still in the official Roman archives. You go look it up, because they saw it in Rome. Lucian of, of, uh, Lucian of Antioch, uh, martyred in 312, challenged his persecutors when he argued with them about how real the gospel and the story was, challenges persecutors to search the government archives and see for themselves it was three hours of darkness that were recorded. So this is not, you know, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a story. This is a phenomenon. It's without explanation. It defies everything we can look to because it's, it's supernatural. It's miraculous. But understand what happens when the lights go out here. What actually happens? I'm sure those that were mocking, ah, you said you're the son of God, and the sun is blistering, all of a sudden, boom, it goes black. And and God has worked in astrological situations before. During the days of Joshua, the sun stood still and the moon in the valley of Ajalon. It tells us when Abraham was making God making a covenant with him, he slaughtered the lamb and the and the ox and the and the dove and so forth and split them. And it says then there was a fearful darkness that came upon Abraham and a burning furnace passed between the parts. There is 
the children of Israel in the land of Egypt and the ninth judgment that comes, there is darkness over all the land of Egypt and sun is shining in Goshen where God's people are. The darkness, it says, could be felt. It was so severe. So God has done these things in the past. He's done this here in the record, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we have to understand, it must immediately silence everybody there that's present. Amos would say this in chapter 8, And it shall come to pass... In that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon. I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feast, it was Passover, into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins and boldness upon every head. And I will make it as the mourning of an only son. And the end thereof shall be a bitter day. You know, you have to understand, when this goes black, all the mockers stop. This centurion, the Roman soldiers, must freeze because afterwards, when the sun is back on again, uh, the centurion is going to say, truly, this was the Son of God. He sees the blackness, the earthquake, and those things. This is Passover, three in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice. All of the sacrifices stopped at noon when it went black. All of the business at the temple has come to a screeching halt. There's no lambs being sacrificed except the Lamb of God on the hill of Calvary. People are scurrying to find, you know, oil lamps to get some light. Uh, you have to understand, there are uh, trees that when night comes, the leaves curl up on trees. Any of those trees in this part of the world were freaked out. It's, they have to curl up at noon. You know, there are birds, not all, but some that stop singing in the dark. There are nocturnal animals that hunt only at night in that part of the world. They hardly got any sleep. You know, just just think of everything that happened. Bees all return to their hives. We don't think of what this does in the natural world, this literal, physical blackness. Not just darkness, blackness. And I'm sure it is a million times blacker than any blackness anyone had ever experienced. Psalm 22 um, says this. It says, it begins by saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season... And I'm not, I am not silent in the darkness. And then he goes on to describe the situation. He says, be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, definite article, the strong bulls of the Bashan have beset me round. 
They gape upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion, strange bulls. I am poured out like water, all of my bones are out of joint. And Psalm 22 prophesies, David is writing. It's so interesting, as you read through the different quote-unquote scholars and so forth, they say, well, Jesus was quoting Psalm 22 when he was on the cross. My God, my God, he was not. Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm that was quoting what Jesus would say before he ever said it. If David didn't write Psalm 22, Jesus would have still said the same thing on the cross. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, we're told. So here was David looking forward to a reality that would take place. And then he says, and in that darkness, try to realize that there, there are principalities of darkness. Think of what he's surrounded with in this darkness. These great bulls of Bashan with mouths like roaring lions. And Satan himself, the prince of darkness, must have been saying, you fool. I offered you all of the kingdoms of the world. You'd have bowed down to worship me. And now you're naked, bludgeoned, bleeding, humiliated, hanging in this darkness. Just think, it's hard for us to imagine in that darkness, in that spiritual realm, things that were taking place. And that darkness is inescapable in some ways. Jesus, when he's talking about humanity, he's talking to the, about the centurion who had come to him. He said, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and from the west. They shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, in Matthew, again, he says, now it says, I'm sorry. Again, he says in a parable, then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, in chapter 25 of Matthew, and Matthew was very strong with the religious hypocrisy of his day, so he includes all these. In the parable again, cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All of that laid out, this darkness, this literal, physical, supernatural Darkness And look, people can make fun of hell. Oh, yeah, you guys, your Christians are crazy, you know. Hell, if I go there, I'm going to party with my friends. I mean, you know, don't make fun of hell. It is everlasting darkness in solitude. There's no friends. There's no other person. You're falling forever in the darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. This darkness is not a joke. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, please understand what this is telling us. The, the center of time and eternity is Jesus entered into that darkness for anyone who would come to him for salvation. He took our place in that darkness. And we look at this scene. We look at the cross here. You know, we don't understand how this happens. 
We, we, we are allowed to understand why, but how could we ever stand how? You know, Jesus, when he was in Gethsemane, he prayed three times, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. But not my will, thine be thine. It says an angel came and strengthened him so that he could agonize because he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Hematidrosis. The, the, the human stress can get to the point where you're, the, the blood vessels, the capillaries in your sweat glands will burst. That, that's how much pressure was on him. And he was begging the Father if there was any way that this cup would not have to be in his hand. And then yet he will say to his disciples, let us go, the cup that the Father's given me, shall I not drink it? He resolved finally to do that. We are told in the book of Hebrews about the high priest in the Old Testament that he had to have compassion on those that are gone out of the way because he himself is compassed with infirmity. But then he says there's another priest coming after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, please listen, with strong crying and tears, Gethsemane, strong crying, pleading in tears unto him who was able to save him from, that's X, able to save him out of death. And he was heard in that he feared your translation might say he had piety. That, that fails the word. Godly fear works to a point. But the idea is it was filled with awe. It wasn't just godly fear. It was godly fear because of what was at stake. Uh, if you go to the, the BDAG, the, probably the most important Hebrew lexicon of New Testament words, he says, here half the, the scholars will say, godly fear, but it insinuates a sobriety. And Harnack and all the other ones say, no, this is fear. This is all. He's there in Gethsemane. He understands what it means that he's going to take the cup from the Father's hand. It has spoken about Psalm 78, uh, Jeremiah 23, different places in the Old Testament. It is the cup of God's wrath poured out on the sinful world. It tells us this in the book of Revelation. It says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and forever. So in this darkness, Christ had prayed about it with fear and sobriety because he was stepping into a place. And, and again, the father covers it with darkness. It's him and his son. Something is happening. And he'll say, my God, my God, not my father, my father. He's in our place. Never calls him God, but here, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's something happening between the Father and the Son there. We can never understand how. It's eternal. Christ has become the propitiation for our sins. 
It is the place, not just where he bled. When he was afraid in Gethsemane, it wasn't just that he was going to be scourged or beaten or have a crown of thorns, even crucified. He was terrified. He was afraid of this cup of God's wrath that would be poured out on him in the place of sinners that would trust him. And he cries, my God, my God, out of the darkness. Why? Imagine, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, one member of the Trinity cut off from the rest of the Trinity. He's without information. He, he doesn't know. Imagine, it's the only place where he asks God a question that we know of. Why? And, and, the, and the Greek is really, for what purpose? He's in the darkness. He's cut off from God. And he's crying, for what purpose? Why? Have you forsaken me to leave in the lurch, to abandon, the word means, to desert? Why have you abandoned me? He's asking, why? For what purpose am I being abandoned? Because he's in our place there. One member of the Trinity asking without information. It said that Martin Luther sat and looked at this verse all day one day. And those around him thought he had a stroke because he didn't move. He didn't answer questions, just sat there. And at the end of the day, he finally got up and he said, God, forsaken of God. How, how can we understand this? And he walked away. The question for you and I, too, is I think as we look at it, it's not How? We're never going to plumb the depths of that. In the ages to come, he's still going to be revealing those things to us because he died eternally in that darkness. When he comes out of the darkness, he says it is finished before he died physically because in that darkness, he died physically, he died eternally. Did it take a second in human time? Did it take all three hours in human time? It doesn't matter because he stepped into eternity he died timelessly. He died eternally in that darkness. And, and the cry that comes out of it is, is, my God, my God, for what purpose? You've forsaken me. It's unimaginable. Here in his love, John would write later, not that we love God, but that he first loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation the place where God's wrath could be satisfied, the propitiation for our sins. The father didn't answer, you know, when his son was in Gethsemane pleading, there was no answer. When his son was taken to the, the courtyard of Caiaphas and beaten and spit on, heaven was silent. When he was taken then, you know, to the Sanhedrin in the morning and mocked, taken to Pilate, He's scourged, he's spit on, he's beaten again, and heaven is silent. I think I have two sons. If, 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 either, if I was omnipotent, I'm all-powerful, I, I have the ability to do anything, and I'm looking at my son being brutalized and spit on, and he's crying out to me, my, my dad, you know, just... I would do whatever was in my power to stop that. And yet heaven is silent. Heaven is silent. The crucifixion, 
Heaven is silent. And then finally now, in this time, noon to three, blackness, everything goes dark. And in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were not just bled out, the sin, sin offering, the, the burnt offering. It was bled out, and then it was burned on the fire. The fire was always the central part of it. And here Christ says the smoke of their torment ascends forever and forever. Look, I don't understand it. He steps into the darkness where the Father shields it. It's just me and my son here. Nobody else whoever could measure the eternal counsels of God and the, the eternal pain, the eternal love that he has that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe would not perish. It's almost like he takes that, turns the son out, he takes that to himself, him and his son. And, and I, I don't think we can ever say how. How can one member of the Trinity be cut off from him? The Trinity. How, how can eternity be suffered in three hours of this? How the question for you and I, and the, the answer that the Bible gives us is not how. It's why. Why did he do that? Why that three hours of darkness? Why in the world did he go there in the first place? We're told this in Second Corinthians. It says, for he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. We don't know how, how all this measure, but we know why. God the Father made him, his own son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be the very righteousness of of God. Galatians chapter 3 tells us Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Listen, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Peter will tell us, he says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. Paul told us, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. And we go through these verses and they tell us not the how, but the why. It tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 6, that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Try to imagine. God laid on Christ on the cross the iniquity of us all. And it says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, that God is too righteous, too holy to look upon iniquity and to look upon sin. That's why he turned away. That's why he forsook. Because on Jesus, on the cross, were the trillions of sins committed by billions of people in 6,000 years of human history. And all of my sins in my own short history, they were there. He bore it all. The sins of 
Hitler, the sins of terrorists, the sins of tyrants, the sins of immoral people, the sins that we see all around us that drive. He paid for the sins of the world. Not everybody's going to, you know, take that to themselves, but he paid for it all. The sin of humanity. The father turned away. Who don't, who can't look upon that. But he laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of us all. You know, maybe you're here today and you feel like, you know, sometimes you just feel like, you know, the Lord has forsaken me. I mean, I'm in a bad situation. Where is he? Look. You can go to him because he knows more about forsakenness than anybody ever will. He had been forsaken on that cross for, for no reason except you and I to a greater degree than anybody will ever be forsaken. And whatever the situation is in our life that makes us feel forsaken, there's no comparison. Look, through church history, people that were persecuted and martyred, sometimes they may have felt forsaken. But there's a difference between the death of Jesus and the death of a martyr. Jesus died as a substitute, not a martyr. Jesus died in, in the darkness of Almighty God, separated from God, without hope. A martyr at least dies knowing he's going to be in heaven on the other side of his last breath. Jesus died forsaken. You see, it was impossible to transfer my sin to Jesus without transferring its penalty as well. It is impossible that our sins be transferred to Jesus without their penalty being transferred as well. The substitute for my sin must be forsaken, rejected as a sinner, lost and alone in outer darkness forever. I don't understand how that happened. You know, you raise your children, and there's a lot of things they don't understand how it happens. But they do understand mommy loves me, daddy loves me. We will never understand the how of this because it was infinite, it was eternal which means we'll always be approaching yet never arriving. We'll always be finite. He will always be infinite, even in glory. But we can know why, even if we can't know how. It's because of my sins that he was there in the darkness. It was because of my sin that he was forsaken. It was because he took my place in outer darkness. And if you're here today, look, as a Christian, you've backslidden, you've done things wrong, and you're thinking, you're listening to the devil tell you, he's, he's done with you. He don't want nothing to do with you. You, know, you think you're going to just come waltzing backward, you know. Whatever you've done, and, and you should stop. You should repent. You should come back to Christ. It doesn't measure up with the sin of the whole human race that he bore on the cross. You come, flee to him, come back to him. 
There's nothing forbidding that. And if you're here today and you've never come to Christ, truth is, you will face eternity. What happens when you take your last breath? What happens in your hospice? When you're, you're in a hospice, you're going to be serious about things then? I mean, we're all going to face eternity with or without his provision. If he has entered that darkness of eternity on my behalf, I then am set free to step into the light. It says in Psalm 103 that he has removed our iniquity as far as from the east to the west. They never meet. As far as time and eternity, as far as light and darkness. If you're here and you've never come to Christ, there's a provision. There's a provision. He died on the cross for you. He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that you'll never have to cry it. Study the historic annals. This was a reality. This really happened. The whole world doesn't go black for three hours and nobody writes about it. Besides, we trust the scripture, of course, but you can find historical record of this. And it was there in that darkness 2,000 years ago that Jesus Christ carried your sins and paid for them. And taken us that believe from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So we're going to sing a last song. We'll have Tommy and the musicians come. We'll worship. I encourage you at some point, just get alone and sit with Jesus. You know, there's kind of a, I don't know how, Lord, but I know why you did this for me. There's something mysterious about this. The Father shrouded it. But there's something open about it as well that's medicine for us. So get alone with the Lord just personally at some point. Just think. He bore your, your, your sins there. He was in eternity, suffering eternally, so you don't have to. And if you're here today and you've never come to Christ, forget about church, forget about religion, forget none of that comes out to mean anything. Do you know him? Do you know the one who died for you? He's risen. You can know him. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Do you know Jesus? Because he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So you never have to cry it out. He went into an eternal darkness. So you don't have to do that when you die. Because those who refuse God's forgiveness will be cast into outer darkness. Eternal. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It wouldn't be God's love if he didn't tell us. So as we sing this last song, I'd like to invite those of you who have never come to Christ... What an what a incredible thing that he's, he's bought the ticket for you to go to heaven. He paid the price that you could never pay. So I encourage you as we sing this last song, if you're not saved today and you want to get saved, let's stand. I encourage you just to come down, stand here in the front. We want to pray with you. Uh, we want to give you some literature and a copy of the scripture. You can come here young naked before the world for you. You can come here today and say, I need forgiveness. 
Uh, if this is all real, and Jesus paid for my sins, and he did, I need that forgiveness. I don't want to be cast into outer darkness at death. I want to step into the light on the other side of my last breath, into heaven. I encourage you to do that. And if a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. Jesus said, if you're willing to confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father and all of the angels in heaven. Jesus said, no man, no woman, no child can come unless my father in heaven draws them. You will know in your heart. Doesn't matter what I'm saying. Don't listen to me. Listen to your heart. And if he's saying to you today, come on. You don't want to go into that darkness. I was there and already paid the price for you. I already died. I didn't just die for you. I died as you. You come. I encourage the rest of you, let's not all run out. Let's just pray. Because somewhere, at some point, the last person who's going to get saved is going to get saved, and we're out of here. So uh, we hope that will be here this morning. But let's bow our hearts. Let's pray. For you to know Jesus. We want you to come today. We want to rejoice with you. Get out of the darkness and get into the light. Father, I know you've overheard. We look to you, Lord. And for us as your sons and daughters, some of us have been walking with you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, Lord, 70 years. And these things are still immeasurable to us, inconceivable. There's depth to them that you've not granted to us to see. But there's also a beauty that you've placed before us of your love and of your grace and of your sacrifice, of being our substitute in death. Lord, let us grow in grace and in the knowledge of you, our Lord and Savior. And we do pray, Lord, for any that are here that don't know you, Lord, they'd be done playing any game they're playing, Lord. That as real as this darkness was, it could be that real to them in their hearts today by your word and by your spirit. Lord Jesus, draw them. All of the glory will be yours. You add to the church daily such as should be saved. We trust you to do that work, Lord. And we pray in your name. Amen.